0: And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of your favorite celebrities. This is Gold Mines with Kevin Hart.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another amazing episode of Gold Mines. Where we do what? Well, this is where we get into the minds of amazing comedians or comedic personalities or people who just understand comedy. Oh, my. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Today's guest, well, today's guest is a staple in the industry. I mean, look, he seems, seems to be always right at the intersection of the world's, of the world's comedy and film. And I should say on the better side of it because he's done so many amazing things in that space. I mean, God, he's done everything. From 2018, there was a film called Vice. 2015, movie The Big Short. Uh, we're talking Anchorman, Step Brothers, Get Hard, Talladega Nights. This guy's written, co-written, and directed and produced everything under the sun in the last in the last decades. Uh, I will say this: he has an Oscar, which goddamn is a hell of an achievement. Ladies and gentlemen, this man is Adam McKay, a friend, a friend. I can say that a friend Kevin how are you man I'm good man I appreciate you taking the time I really do Philly brothers
0: have to stay together Philadelphia,
1: stand up. Yep. Stand up. Stand up. Stand out. Adam, you know where I'm gonna start this conversation, man. First of all, I love to start off by giving flowers when they're due, and that's why I read that uh that introduction. Because your imprint, your handprint rather, in the space of comedy entertainment is one like no other man. And your your partnerships that you have formed and the relationships that you have been able to make and 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 keep and stay true to along the way are also Unbelievable! I want to start off with a little funny or die sketch that you and Will did, and there was an amazing little girl in this sketch. And this was the sketch about the little girl. The little girl was supposed to be drunk, and she was a landlord. And Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell was late on the money, Uh, and he didn't have the money to pay. Who was this little girl, Adam?
0: So that is my daughter Pearl, and uh, Pearl is now 16 years old. And believe it or not, like minutes before we started this, she just pulled up in a car because she can drive now and got out with my wife and just said hi and just walked by. But Pearl is now 16 years old, which is mind blowing. And she wasn't even quite two years old when we shot that. No. She was like 21 months, I think. 22 months when we filmed that video. Well, Pearl not only was amazing in that video,
1: the reason why I brought that up, man, because it just shows, A, how time flies. Right. And I remember that that video really hitting the Internet. And uh, this is like in those stages of Funny or Die when you guys are really getting into it. And, you know, this is like one of the, the sketches that Will had, had did that had just went viral. And the talk of the town was a girl, but then it was Adam. It was about you just putting your girl in it. So my question was, were you guys directing Pearl like, you know, along the way? Was that a long setup and shoot to do this whole thing?
0: More Gold Mines with Kevin Hart after this. Now, more from Kevin Hart on Gold Mines. So, it was basically we were starting this little website. We thought it would be like a clubhouse for our friends to do sketches because we weren't on SNL anymore. And we just thought it would be a little tiny, kind of fun thing to do. And we needed a first video. So I told Farrell, I said, look, my daughter's at that age. She's super cute. She will say anything you say to her back to you. She's, it's a period that little kids go through where they just do that. Mm-hmm. And I said, I... Parent phase. I like it. The parrot phase. They're parents. You have just named it. That will be <laughs> in psychology text for the next hundred <laughs> years, Kevin Hart. And so we brought her up there and it was will's son magnus's birthday party was going on we were in his guest house and Farrell was like all right i don't have a lot of time to do this so he like came in the guest house my wife was there my friend drew Anse's was on camera old buddy of mine and we shot the whole thing in like 40 minutes and we just <laughs> fed her the line she would say i back and we didn't think anything of it it was like a goof around and then my friend drew was editing it and he's like hey guys this is really funny and i watched it and i was like oh yeah that's really funny and i remember my wife said to me if you turn our daughter into a child star i'm gonna kill you oh, and my i God. i said honey it's not gonna happen like because it's will it'll probably get like a million views and then sure enough when it dropped I mean, it was crazy it like crashed the servers for the site I think it's at like 150 million, 200 million views to this day. And uh, she got offered a Jackie Chan film. (laughs) They wanted wanted to do like, people were asking for her autograph. We'd go to restaurants. We went to this one Thai restaurant. All the wait staff was like, can we have her autograph? Um, So my wife was going to like destroy me. Uh, But we were like, all right, she's not going to do the Jackie Chan movie. She won't do the People Magazine profile. So we, pulled it all back, we did one more video, and then we retired it, and now she's just had a normal childhood. But yeah, that was Pearl.
1: That's strong, that's strong. By the way, I would've done the same. I, I would've pulled it back. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not big on the kids, well, my kids, I should say that, let me make sure I, I make that very clear. My kids uh, jumping into business at the young age. I was definitely offered the opportunity several times, and I kinda, I turned away from it, and you know, it's not to knock. The other parents are actors that have allowed their kids to get into business early. I just it just didn't sit well with me. I didn't like the thought of taking a childhood away.
0: That was the big thing was like let them have a normal childhood. However, there are plenty of people that were child stars that are one, you know, Ron Howard, who without exaggeration, might be the nicest man on planet Earth. Unbelievable. 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 Uh Jason payman mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling, like there's a long list of uh, Christian Bale of people that were child stars that have wonderful careers or wonderful people.
1: Is the list longer of people that came out amazing than not amazing?
0: I was just thinking I would love to see the list because you can name a lot of people that came out amazing but then there's a pretty long list of people that had trouble. So I don't know what- I'm curious. I'm curious too. I think the key is, are your parents desperate for that money from their kid? Are your Mm -hmm. parents struggling? then I think it probably puts like adult pressure on the kid. But if you just do it for fun, if it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, how fun you get to be in a movie, like then you're okay. I mean, it's a tricky thing. We just had uh very sadly, one of the kids from Talladega nights just passed away like about oh, two wow. months ago. Uh, I don't know if that had any relation to his acting. It seemed like he had given up acting at that point, but, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say my wife was correct, though. We were smart for not doing it.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's not about um, what we're talking about here. Of course, we're talking about our personal opinion uh, in dealing with our family. You know, this is we're talking about our kids here. So this isn't to pass judgment on, you know, the volume of kids that have done it. No. It's just for me, I remember when the conversations came up, I said, the biggest thing is the work, right? And as an adult, it's cool to have a choice to do the work. You know, like, like you're in the entertainment business as an adult, you're, you know that these are long days and you know what you're signing up for. You know, for the kid, it's almost as if I felt like I would be signing my daughter up for these long days to do these things, you know, that may or may not be liked after a certain period of time. And I was like, you know, to make that decision for you or to allow you to be hype in the moment and say, this is what you want without really understanding it. I was like, I would much rather you get to an age where you can make a decision as a young adult and, and follow through with it, whether than, you know, me putting you there or forcing you to stay in it, something like that,
0: right? I like that. I think that's pretty spot on. I mean, you look at sports, you see it with certain sports guys too. Like the famous one is Todd Marinovich, the quarterback for USC, whose dad raised him from day one to be a professional quarterback. And later, Todd Mm -hmm. Marinovich had a lot of issues, Mm -hmm. you know, got into drugs, struggled. I think he's doing okay now, thank God. But that was a case where he never got to be a kid. He never got to like find his own voice. And, you know, when he got to the Raiders in the NFL, he got drafted, he crashed. So you see that a lot with the kids, too, that are raised from day one. You're going to be a professional athlete. Everything's about the sport, every single thing. I think you're right. I think you got to let them find their own voice to some degree. And I think if you look at the examples like Ron Howard, he was able to find his own voice. Even though he was a child actor, he still did his own thing and found his own happiness. But anyway. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. I I think I'm with you
1: though. No, it's definitely a good question with two with two great answers. What I wanna get into now, man, I wanna get into you and just your rise within writing, directing, producing, et cetera, right? This relationship between you and Will, how did you and Will come together? What was the beginning stages of this? Was it SNL?
0: So Will and I were hired on the same day at SNL. So wow. I was sitting in the waiting room to go see Lorne Michaels. And they had flown me out, and I had auditioned as a performer, but I didn't really do impressions or big characters. I kind of mostly was just myself, Mm -hmm. Uh, so I kind of knew I wasn't going to get hired as a performer. So I given a writing packet as well, and in the lobby was Sherry O'Terry, Will, my friend Tom Giannis, and myself. And one by one, we all went and got hired. And then afterwards, we were all like, "Holy!" crap we just got hired. You hired on the spot uh hired uh, you know Called me in the office he, he uh, Lauren always does this funny thing where he never says it directly so he's like uh, adam you know the way to work on this show is you'll be here and you'll write materials some will get on some won't uh you live in new york and then i had to say wait a minute am i hired and he said, yeah, and then he still kind of won't say you're hired. He just says, so you'll be starting in two weeks. <laughs> so you have to kind of put it together. And uh, so I walked out of the room, and we had all had that meeting, and we were like, you know, wow, we just got hired for SNL. We should go out and get a beer. So we all went to some bar and got a beer. But the funny thing is, and everyone will tell you this about Farrell, He's a very normal guy when you meet him. Absolutely. He, he you don't have any idea the fastball that he's got when it comes to comedy if you just Absolutely. talk to him. So I thought in my head, oh, that guy's a performer. He must be like a straight man or something. Like, he just seemed, whereas Sherry Terry was like joking around doing bits. My friend Dave Keckner was doing bits. We were all joking around. Will was pretty reserved. And it wasn't until the first read-through where he had sketches. The other trick with Will is he's a really good writer. So the first read-through, he uncorked like these three or four sketches where we were like, whoa, where did that come from? Like totally different characters. And then slowly Will started hanging out with us because we did bits all the time. Even if we're just hanging around, we're always joking around. We're always pretending we're someone else. We're always screwing with someone. And he liked that. So and then he started doing them with us. And we're like, oh, my God, this guy's better at doing bits than anyone around. And that was kind of it. Then we became friends and then we started writing together. And it was just so easy. Like both of us had very similar sense of humor. Neither one of us are very argumentative guys. Like if one person felt strong about something, I'd be like, all right, I trust you. Let's do it. And vice versa. Let it go. And no, no debates, no debates. And if there was, there was no digging in. He's got a really healthy ego. I'm not a big digging kind of guy. And the writing was just a breeze. And off of doing a bunch of sketches together, when it came time to do movies, we wrote a script together and it was just as easy. I mean, it takes time to write a script. It's hard work but it was just a pleasure and we were kind of off to the races at that point.
1: I want to make sure that my listeners heard that because what you just said, I think is one of the most important things that that gets overlooked. You know, when you're talking about writing, especially when you're talking about pairs, tandems, when writing, you know, the biggest holdup is the debate, is the me versus you when it comes to material, when it comes to what we're putting on the page. And what Adam just said that made that process so easy was he and Will got along so good that there was never a thing where it mattered that much. It was easy to go, okay, well, you're right. Oh, okay, I see your point. And I think that's normally where gold comes from. And, you know, you talk about Lauren in the room, it's crazy to hear you say that because I never got that far, Adam. I didn't get to the part of, uh, you're going to be moving to New York. Yeah, I just got the call. I got the call saying I didn't get it wow
0: <laughs> well if it makes you feel good kevin i guarantee you he regrets that so uh <laughs> i've seen him regret not hiring people before like jim carrey always stuck in his craw like how did i miss jim carrey so you know Ooh. Lawrence, lauren prides himself on his eye for talent and he's very yeah. good at it but he does miss sometimes so who
1: else did he miss i know i know jim carrey i know myself Who else is a big miss? Do you know Of the top of your head?
0: Uh, Oh, God. I'm trying to think. I know Jim Carrey for sure. Yeah, Jim Carrey was one that really bugged him. I think you probably auditioned after I was there, so I never got to hear him say he regretted not hiring you. We tried to get Jack Black when I was there. I was head writer. I was pushing for Jack. And I think Jack may have said no. Wow. I think Jack had enough going on. Uh, But I don't know, man you, you and Carrie may be his biggest regrets oh, Jack, uh, Black. Jack Black is huge yeah. too
1: Jack Black would have been amazing on SNL
0: Oh, it would have been amazing He tried to ha- hire Danny McBride But I think McBride said no too Ooh. I think there's some people that have said no But, you know, your point about the script What we were talking about That's a big thing If you're writing with anyone It always has to be about the script It has to be about the movie The second it becomes about you You're kind of screwed up because the movie always wins it's like what's best for the movie what's best for the script what's best for the edit uh and Will is very good at that even though he was the star of these movies he never was like give me that Mm -hmm. like he was always like let's just make a great movie and I think that's why a lot of the movies Will and I did together had a lot of other funny people in them you know, if you go back to Anchorman, you had Paul Rudd, you had Steve Carell, you had John C. Riley in Talladega Nights, and on and on and on. We did get hard with you. You're, you're screamingly funny through the whole movie. So, um, so yeah, that that was one of the big tricks. Was he always made it about the movie, and he's a unique guy in that sense. Absolutely, that his ego is pretty healthy. You know what's
1: great too, and and I noticed from working with him, I will say when you're talking about the bits and you're talking about the ability to go in and out of bits off camera. We're talking off camera. Yeah, We're talking a person-to-person bit. One of the best, one of the best, one of the best at going person-to-person with the bits. And Adam, here's the crazy thing. You're no stranger to the bit game. So hearing you say this, I can understand it, and I know it to be true from just being around you. Like, you know, the walking bit. It's the person that at any point in time could just jump into a bit and then casually jump out of a bit. And you both know it's a bit, and that's what makes it fun. A bit is something as simple as seeing somebody, and you're going, "Hey, man, God, whatever, where were you at? Where you at? Where was I at? Where were you at? I told you to get on the plane. I didn't get on the plane. Whatever. It's a thing of back and forth.
0: Yeah, in comedy. Kevin, I tried to join the Air Force, and I'm older, and I actually got into the Air Force for a month, and it did not go well. I'm not in great shape, so I'm back. <laughs> and and the best thing with the bit is someone overhears you, thinks it's real. And then, like a week later, you hear someone come up to you and go, "Hey, did you really try and join the Air Force?" And you're like, "No, I was doing a bit. No, I was in a bit. Yeah, did do the Air Force? I was in a bit. Yeah, I'm fifty three years old. I can't join the Air Force. (laughs) We didn't know. Someone said it. Bits are the best, and bits are great too when you're shooting a comedy because it gets everyone loose. Everyone's joking around." you are all listening to each other. So I'm a big believer in bits on set. I
1: love them. Here's another question for you, man. You know, you brought up Anchorman, right? I just want to go to the success that the movie had. Unbelievable success. And this is, this is in the times where I felt comedy, comedy was at its highest here, right? Like there's this era uh, that you and, and Judd were playing in, right? With with movies, with funny, and comedy had such a strong presence on the big screen. Right now, you know, like the action, the the family adventure, the Marvel world, they've kind of taken the front the front stage and they've been there for a minute. And I've still had success in comedies. There's still a couple other sporadic right, people that have had some success in comedies, but it's a thing where studios feel like there's a tug of war. Like, well, are people going to sing? Are they not? Like, how do we position them? There's a bigger conversation. With you guys and this anchorman, did you know, like, when you were done writing this, did you know we got gold? Or was it a thing of like, you know, this is a great project. We're going to get some good people that we're going to put on it. And we're going to be able to make a good movie. Or did you know I got fucking gold in my hand with this script? We
0: really liked it. We laughed hard when we were writing it. But then we took it to every studio, every financier, every indie place in town, and every single one said no. So it was like there was one day where we were getting all the no's were coming in, and it was no, no, no. And we were like, whoa, what? And so we kind of thought, like, are we crazy? Are we not good writers? Like, we couldn't figure out what was going on. And so we kind of got kicked to the back of the line and the only movie wow. that Farrell had offered to him was this movie where he was a grown man playing an elf. And Farrell's like, I got to do this elf movie. Will you help me with it and rewrite it? Cause it's all I can do. And I was like, Crap, wow, how did this happen? Like, So we had to go to my apartment in New York City and we were just sitting there rewriting this script where he's a grown man playing an elf. And we're like, well, we better make this good. I mean, I don't know what else to do. And then fortunately, he had done another movie where he wasn't the lead called Old School. God bless Todd Phillips. Todd Mm -hmm. Phillips saw how funny Mm -hmm. he was and cast him as like the third or fourth lead. And he totally broke out of that. So while Elf was being shot or edited while it was being edited we then because of old school dreamworks who had done old school called us up and we're like okay now we want to do Eckerman. and that was it and that's how we wow. finally as we used to say got to play with like big kids toys we got to get got, got to get the cameras got to get the equipment got to get the crew and do our first movie
1: was will still on snl at the time when elf came he was still there did he leave
0: <sighs> Let me try and remember when he left. I think he was still... That's a very pivotal moment. He was still on SNL. He was still on SNL. Yeah, he was still doing SNL because I left in like 2000, 2001. Mm -hmm. And he left, I think, in like 2003. So he had done Old School Elf. And then we filmed Anchorman. He might have left when we were doing Anchorman or maybe it was right after he left SNL.
1: And with you with Anchorman... This was the directing debut, the writing, everything, the whole nine. You know, was it was it a tough sell for you at that point with the studio? Like, yo, I'm gonna I'm gonna direct it. Like, I wanna I wanna do this film. I wanna have control over it. Like, after Will had that success, was it hard for him to sell you as his guy, or for the studio to buy you as being the guy?
0: Well, before he had this success with Old School, it was impossible. No one would do it. They're like, this guy isn't directed. I'd done a bunch of short films on SNL. But some of them were a little strange. I think they scared off some of the studios. They were like, <laughs> what is this? And uh, and so once he hit with old school, then it was like I was able to get through the wire. Like up until that point, it wasn't going to happen. And so they wanted Will so badly. They wanted his next project so badly. Unless they knew I could direct. I mean, they'd seen my short films. and And, you know, some of them were a little more mainstream. Some were a little crazy- And they had met with me. They knew I knew what I was doing. So, uh, from that point on, the second we got to film, it was just pure enjoyment. It was so Mm. fun.
1: And putting the cast together, you know, from the gate when you guys were writing, did you know that's who you wanted? Did you know that you wanted to go after Steve? Did you know that you wanted to go after, you know, everybody that was in them? I mean, what was the cast? Go through the cast of Anchorman for me.
0: It was Corel, It was Christina Applegate. It was Paul Rudd. It was Dave Kector. It was Fred Willard. It was Vince Vaughn. But no, we actually auditioned people. We didn't know who was going to play uh, Christina, or uh, I'm sorry, Veronica Corningstone. So we auditioned a bunch of people we had some really good people audition too, and we kept doing callbacks. And it really came down to Applegate was perfect. And then we did auditions for all the other roles. And I remember we were torn between Steve Carell and this other actor. And finally, I just said, Look, I was in Chicago when Steve Carell was at Second City. I've never seen the guy not be funny. And that was the tiebreaker. It was just like, He's always good. And then Rudd, actually Rudd was between Rudd and Bob Odenkirk. Those were our two choices. And (laughs) people don't know, but Odenkirk wasn't really acting much back then. He was more of a writer who did some little parts. And that was a tough decision because they were both hilariously funny. We loved both of them. And ultimately the studio was like, can we go with the guy who's more of an actor? And that was the tiebreaker on that. But I always say to Will to this day, like, hey, we had pretty good taste. Like Kirk, you know, no one was casting him. And no. it was really, it was between him and Rudd. No, that's strong. And then Vince Vaughn, we knew we wanted, like we knew Vaughn was perfect as the foil uh, for West Mantut. So uh, fortunately Vaughn did us a solid, he did the movie. And then Willard, was an all-time comedy legend we wanted him legend we got legend. Chris Parnell was in there Catherine Hahn had a small role in there and she was awesome. Uh, Luke Wilson pops up and Stiller does a cameo Tim Robbins uh, so yeah we kept kind of like filling out those roles with little cameos and friends and stuff but but it was a crazy movie. I mean when we first test screened it it got laughs the whole way through. But at the end, we got our scores. And you know how they do it, Kevin. You get that score. It's from one to 100. You get the score. And, you get the score. and they, they count <laughs> the score? they count the uh, top two boxes. You think the movie's excellent <laughs> or very good? And they total them up. And generally speaking, you want to be above a 70, right? You want to be, and, and maybe even above a 65. At our first screening, we got a 50. And we were like, What? <laughs> And the marketing lady came to us from DreamWorks and she says, you, oh. you idiots, you killed the dog. <laughs> and I said, oh. what do you mean we killed the dog? Because like, yeah. originally Baxter got kicked off a bridge by yeah. Jack Black. But he doesn't come back in the movie. That was it. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, but it looks so fake. Does anyone really think the dog died? And then, so sure enough, we did a reshoot, and we had the dog come back, and our scores went up twenty five points. Like, oh my god, night and day, total difference. And I was like, all right, note to self, (laughs) don't ever kill the dog. I love,
1: I love coming back. You idiot, you killed the dog. Yeah, Yeah. what are you talking about? it was funny. You talk about when Baxter gets booted off the bridge. It's one of our biggest laughs in the movie. Yeah, yeah but he's dead. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but it's not a real dog. It's not a real dog. So is this when when you guys, I would say, like, there's a moment that I've had, right, in my career where it's like, you know, the light bulb went off. And the light bulb was that I can make my own movies. You know, I can now produce Right develop my own films with my team with my company right and it's one of the best feelings to have is the one of like control kind of controlling your destiny your future and having the trust in your partner. Right. Like you're technically, you're still being hired, but you're you're more of a partner. When did the light bulb go off for you, Adam, that you could put some consistency behind developing these films? Like, was it after Anchorman and and seeing like, oh, wow, people saw this material. People love the material. I want to give people more of this. Like, what was your personal light bulb of this is what it's about to be? It can be so much more. I,
0: I would say it was after Talladega Nights because you do it once. And you think like with Anchorman, there's a little party that just it, you've only done it once. So you wonder, is it a fluke? Can we really do this again? This is Goldmines, hosted by Kevin Hart. Now more from Kevin Hart on Goldmines. And then when we did Talladega Nights, and I felt like we got even better at filmmaking. I'm not saying it's a better movie, but just our filmmaking chops got better. And it felt really comfortable. After that, I was like, oh wow, this is awesome. And then after that, we also started producing. We started producing some smaller movies initially. We did uh Eastbound and Down, uh, we did a couple little indie movies. And then we're really starting to kind of feel it like, oh, I think we kind of know how to do this. And that led us to Step Brothers, which at the time was the craziest movie we had done because we were feeling good. So we just said, let's really cut loose. Like, let's let's not worry about anything. Let's just make the exact movie we would want to see. And and then when that worked, we were like, wow, like this is crazy. That was the craziest movie that we could make. And it got the most mixed reviews, of course, because it was pretty crazy and silly. And yet it still did really well. And we loved it. And we were feeling really good. So the kind of peak was end of Talladega Nights in the Step Brothers, where that's when Will and I started uh, Gary Sanchez Productions together. We started a production company. That's when we were really starting to like make movies. That's where Like we ended up doing, even though I didn't direct it, we produced Get Hard with you. Uh, I would come up with story ideas. I would do rewrites on the scripts. And it was just a blast. It was, we were getting to do, we did the campaign, which once again, I didn't write it, but I did a rewrite. Jay Roach directed it. So we were starting to do all these movies for Will. We were starting to produce a lot more and then kind of in between the other guys and Command 2, then we were doing a ton of stuff. Then we were doing all kinds of movies, all kinds of TV shows, and the companies started getting really big at that point. Yeah.
1: You're all over the map, but in such a strong way, you know, even when in dramas. Uh, one of my favorite shows on TV, I remember I saw your names, and I was like, holy shit. Succession. What is it? Um, succession? Su- Success- yeah. yeah. Succession. I'm like holy shit, you know, when you just start to see the things that your hands are in and that you're tied to and the resume that you guys have put together. Backing up, though, just to go from Talladega Nights nice to Step Brothers, you know, once again, these these were so strong because they were... They were character-driven, right? And, like, you know, the premises were, were so crazy but yet so grounded within the performances. Was that a thing that you guys kind of tried to stay true to or, or focus on as you came up with the crazy ideas? Was it making sure that you put Will in a position to, to kind of be able to go as wild and above as he can but at the same time just grounded to 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 find the belief in the character to make it that much funnier
0: yeah that was something we learned as we went along and especially with talladega nights was that as crazy as the world was you had to play it consistently that it had to Mm -hmm. be like i mean if you look at old comedies like the blues brothers or uh airplane or any of those old legendary comedies as crazy as they were They were true to themselves. You know, you you didn't break your reality. And also there was like a real story, like even in the movie Airplane, they got to land the plane. They're going to die. Like you Mm -hmm. actually, even though it's ridiculous, you a little bit care that they're going to land the plane. So we started getting better and better at that. And I've always been a film fan. Anyway, I like all kinds of movies. So one of the nice things we were able to do is draw from all these other kinds of movies then I brought on like a real heavy hitter DP and Oliver Wood who shot like Born Identity and he did Talladega mm. Nights. So we started realizing that the better the filmmaking was, the more the reality and the stakes would go up. And then the funnier you could be because you believe the world to some degree. And I think that's what all those comedies were teaching me, like different ways to shoot things, different ways you could be artful, and at the same time entertaining that you could have a little bit of a message while still being entertaining and still being funny so yeah all those comedies were like the best film school you could ever have cuz you just get to play with different looks and styles and work with composers and dps
1: mm-hmm. and it does it does really pop your product you know uh that's the space that i'm playing in now as well you know sometimes you know i like now that for some of the things that's coming out, I wanted to put like a darker, grimy feel on some things. And still there's still the comedy component, but the look of it gives you more of an artistic uh approach to the film. And you know, you're like you said, you're that's where the creative juices start to flow even more when you start to bring in the strengths around you from people that have done other things and you know you're mirroring certain looks by giving a different genre it just adds a nice bonus, man. So it's, it's dope to hear you drop the gems that you're dropping because I think they're so valuable and ones that my listeners will be able to take away. You know, that's the purpose of this thing to, to hear and understand, you know, you're getting inside the minds of these goddamn geniuses. And oh, what a genius we got on the show right now. Uh, we're inside the mind of Adam McKay. Uh, and, I, and I love it. Adam, uh, is there a preference? I mean, you, you talked about television as well. One of my favorite shows, Eastbound Down. I, I got to be honest, Danny McBride, um, you know, this is when I, I really got a strong dose of just how funny Danny was. Like, you know, I knew he was funny because I had seen him in movies and I had seen like, you know, cameos and stuff that he had did. But in this show, he really got down, man. He really got
0: down. Oh, uh, so funny. So funny. And by the way, Kevin, another great example of Jody Hill, his partner, who's a director you know, those guys all went to film school. Those guys know how to shoot. Mm. They understand the history of the film. David Gordon Green is another person they work with who's a legitimately talented filmmaker. So they always had a real specific style to that show and talk about ahead of their time. I mean, they're doing this show about like, you know, unhinged red state kind of pride and like, You know, boisterousness and like, and I remember at the time people being like, is this too much? Well, guess what? Now it's our reality. Like, oh my God. Kenny Powers would be a congressman from like South Carolina now, you know? Kenny
1: Powers would be president. Yeah.
0: Kenny Powers. (laughs) Uh, But no, I love that show. Succession's been amazing. And yeah, I've transitioned. You know, I had a great run with Will. We had about 14 years together with Gary Mm -hmm. Sanchez. And now I have a new company, Hyperobject Industries. That's what I was about to get to. Yeah, and and it's been fun. And that's that dividing line you were talking about. That's kind of succession is when it started to kind of zig and zag a little Mm -hmm. bit. uh, But it's, yeah, it's been really fun. And you get to work with these great people. I get to work with Danny McBride. I get to work with like this Norwegian director, Tommy Ricola. I get to work with Andrew Gerlin, like all these really interesting people uh you know we got to do the movie hustlers and work with laurene scafaria who's immensely talented and all these different cool projects, uh, Olivia Wilde with Booksmart, and it's been really fun. With
1: your reason for, you know, wanting to, to step away, was it a mutual decision between you and Will of just like, you know, we've had a great run, we've had a great time, Uh we both get each other, understand each other, but let's just see what the other things are that we can kind of discover on different paths or or what? Like, what, what was the reason for the separation? I
0: mean, you know, I, I could give one of those fake, nice answers. Like, hey, we're buddies. But the truth is, he slept with my wife. And, oh, well, yeah. There and it, yeah, there's I certain. Mean, so I, 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 I was like, I can either go yeah. to prison right now or I can move yeah. on. And I chose to move, move on. on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Smart. And it, smart. And that's the type of guy you are. <laughs> you're you're going to think it through. You're going to think it through. No matter what. This is a bit. This is a bit. It's a bit, a bit. It's a bit.
0: This is a bit. <laughs> uh, no, we had like 14 years. The company got really big. I mean, we had a lot of people working for us, a lot of moving parts.
1: At your height, how many? How many people? Oh,
0: God, I think about we had about 15 working for us, but that wasn't enough. Wow. Because we had so many movies and TV shows going, so we might have had to expand. We also had Funny or Die, which had like 60 people working for them. With all the representatives and the legal and the financial. I mean, if you told, put everyone together, you might've been at a hundred people. And it was just a big behemoth. And I think the weight of it got to be a little tiring. You know, you reach that point where it's like, boy, this is a lot. And you know, you're managing a business and both of us just felt like, Hey, we've had a great run. Like this got a little bigger, I think than, will or I wanted. And uh, so, yeah, it was time to kind of step away. So he's got a little small company now. And then I started the new one. And it's been great. Like, it's so nice to kind of go back to a little bit of a smaller size. And at the same time, I was definitely headed in more of a dramatic kind of political direction. So we get to kind of go unabashedly in that direction. I'll always do comedy and that'll always be a part of what I do. But You know, at the same time, we've done stuff like the Q Into the Storm docu-series that was just on HBO Is something we produced. And, uh, you know, a, a show like Painting with John, which is definitely a very offbeat show. So we've been having a blast. We're kind of leaner, smaller, a little more, you know, idiosyncratic, but at the same time still doing big shows and projects. And it's been really fun. You know, it's crazy to
1: hear you say that, you know, it got kind of big because sometimes, you know, while you're in it, you don't realize the pace that you're growing at, right? And I and I call it the, the success monster. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine that's a writer. And, you know, I said the, the one thing about success is that it truly is a monster. And I said the monster, it can be on your side or not, right? And there's, there's certain things that the monster does really well. And when it comes to growth, one thing that a monster is good at doing is getting bigger. Monsters can get big if you feed it. And that success that you're talking about you and Will were having along the way, well, you look up and you go, holy fuck, look at you, like you're talking about, you know, 50 people over here, 40 people over here. What do you mean I need a COO, a CFO? What are you talking about? We need our own lawyers. What do you mean we we can't use the agents and we got to have our, oh, my God, you you now have this goddamn pyramid of structure that started off with just you and ideas and in a room or apartment writing sketches and then it turned into writing scripts and all of a sudden you're managing hundreds of millions of dollars it happens so fast it happens so fast and then there's a want There's a want attached to what you do well from the people that you're now in business with. And sometimes that's where it becomes overwhelming. That's where the pressure uh, can add up. So I I totally get it. Totally understand, man. And, you know, I think it's an amazing story. It's an amazing story to have and one and even more amazing story
0: to tell. You know what it is too, Kevin, like you want everything you do to count you know you want when you make a TV show when you make a movie whatever you do a podcast you know we have a couple podcasts that just came out you want them all to count you don't want anything to be to feel like a big company is putting it out mm-hmm. you know and, you know you see these media conglomerates that own like 10 different you know studios and but there's a reason like creative groups never become that big there's no equivalent of like, apple for a creative group. You know, it's like you kind of have to stay medium to small sized, and to make everything you do count and to really pay attention to it. And that was really the thing I think for Will and I both felt like, man, there's a lot of stuff coming out of this company. And you want to make sure you pick up each apple and look at it and make sure it's not bruised or does it have a worm in it. And when the conveyor belt starts moving too fast, it makes it hard to. You're not getting the look at it. Yeah, that, yeah. Right?
1: You're not seeing everything. And you don't, you don't, you're, I don't want to say that you're not happy with the things that are positioned to be a representation of your work, your company, but that's the biggest, that's the priority. The priority is what are people seeing and identifying? with our names at this point and and are we managing these things correctly like to your point of picking up the apple um and it's one thing you know it's one thing at heartbeat heartbeat and laugh out loud which is which is becoming tough to your point it's like you know making sure that i i lay eyes on the product and 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 that i have time to lay eyes and that i have time to give my uh my feedback my opinion and you know even when you put people in position to 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 kind of take some of that take some of that uh what's the word that um voice yes they're in position to echo me or or to be a representation of what i see and what i would feel you still don't feel as comfortable as you should Cause you still are like, I need to see it cause I have it. And I know you did, but I gotta look, I gotta, let me read it. I got to And it does become a lot. It's a high volume to it, man. I, I totally understand.
0: I mean, you know, you know too, Kevin, and especially with your career, how you got to where you're at, you got to it through a really nice bond with your audience, right? Your audience loves you. Absolutely. You understand them. They understand you. So then when your name's on something they're trusting you they're like oh i love kevin and same with will and i too it's you know for all of us i mean it's you know uh, we're not like family with our audience but they trust us they know we're not gonna bullshit them. they know we're gonna you know be fairly well behaved that we're gonna try and do good stuff and it was yeah when it really got churning there were a lot of things coming through and so now with the new company we triple check everything. We don't ever do anything for money. We only do it if we love it. It has to be special. We don't do anything because we think it's going to be a hit. We try and just do it because it's good. And it's been nice. Like The stress has just reduced. We're enjoying Like It makes work less like work. When you're doing that you know what i mean yeah yeah
1: absolutely you got to keep the fun you have to keep the door open to enjoy what you do the day that you stop it becomes a difficult job it it really does you said earlier you said you're 53 man 53 years old is there a end time for adam (laughs) McKay? is there a landmark that you're working towards that you're like you know what when i get here this is where i'm gonna I'm going to I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to chill out. Have you thought about that yet?
0: You know, it's funny. I talk with my wife about it sometimes and the truth is and I, I bet you feel the same way. What we do, we love so much that if I were working another job, I would try and retire so I could do what I'm doing right now. So mm. I don't think I'll ever stop doing some form of what I do. Now, is it possible when I'm like, God willing, when I'm 88 years old, that I'm writing books instead or I'm doing mm-hmm. paintings or I'm mm-hmm. playing in a cover band? I don't know. But like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine. I just enjoy it too much. I mean, it's Sunday and you and I are doing a podcast. It's, it's yes. mother's <laughs> day and you and I are doing a podcast. <laughs> I mean, if you and I were to like a target stocking shelves, uh, God bless the people that work at Target stocking shelves. They don't go in on a day off on Mother's Day to stock the shelves, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. we're lucky. We're lucky that we yeah. get to do this. So, I don't I don't ever really see uh, an end time for it. I will do some form of what I do for the rest of my life just cuz I love it. Love it. Love it.
1: I love that, man. And it actually it it, it inspires me. It inspires me to hear you say that. You know, when when I'm talking to people that are older than me in the business who I have so much respect and admiration for, you know, just hearing the hearing the 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 voice of long term and and how you see it and how you see it playing out, you know, and I'm I'm such a I'm such a 10 year ahead thinker. You know, what, what about 10 from now? What do I want? You know, <laughs> where am I at? How am I positioning myself? And, you know, this is why I try to check all these boxes, Adam. This is why I'm checking the, the literature, you know, the voiceover, animation, family adventure, the IP, the talk shows, radio, podcast. It's like, you know, you just try to check as many boxes as you can because I'm having so much fun and discovery within more. Right, I I love the fact that you just keep discovering more. And what I'm finding such a high level of interest in now is talking to my peers, but in, in a way to where it's not programmed. Like, I like this. I like these genuine conversations. And the reason why, Adam, is because I feel like it puts me in a position to get people to give information that would never be shared or told. It'll never be shared or told. And people would kind of just be left figuring out a volume of stuff when I can present, I can present it to you differently. And, and what we're doing now is doing just that, man. There's so much value
0: in the things that you're saying. So much. I mean, how crazy is it like, you know, you're doing a gigantic movie in Budapest. You know, I'm in edit on a, a, a big old movie right now one of the most satisfying experiences i've ever had in my life was in this past year i got to make a podcast now who would ever guess like we're having a podcast right now i went and did a podcast this big kind of investigative podcast so enjoyable so fascinating
1: it's the sport the basketball one right is it the basketball one Yeah.
0: yeah it's called Death at the wing and it's just been endlessly fascinating everyone around me is like, what are you doing? Why are you doing a podcast? You have a movie going, you have another TV show that you're producing for HBO. You have a, <laughs> another show that you just shot the pilot for. Why are you doing a podcast? And I'm like, cause it's fascinating. I got to talk to, <laughs> I got to talk to Jerry West for an hour about mental health. I got to talk to Pulitzer prize winning journalist, Jane Mayer. I taught, you know, we had Craig Hodges from the championship bulls on bulls. And, you know, like, We've just had these guests on. Like i talked to people who were involved around the shooting of, of uh, Benji Wilson in Chicago. I had one of the most intense conversations ever with Billy Moore, who pulled the trigger. It was the heaviest conversation of my life, like on and on and on. And that's a podcast like. I didn't do that to get paid. I didn't do that for you know to strut around the block like I'm I'm Big Time Charlie. It was just really interesting. And uh, so you doing this podcast? Perfect example. Like do what you love, do what excites you, do what you're interested in, and you never go wrong. I know that's an old cliche, but it really is the God's honest truth. Like if you're loving what you're doing, you can't go wrong.
1: I mean, I can't say it any better, man. There is no bigger punctuation to what you just said than what you just gave. It's something that sounds so easy, but um, but yet so many people struggle with, and understandable, you know? Um, it's, it's, I get why some people struggle with it.
0: I think it's the money. I think the money messes things up because I think you get some people that go into comedy or filmmaking or whatever because they, part of them wants to make money. And I understand that, especially when times are so hard for so many people in this country right now. Absolutely. So nothing but respect, but it does mess up the process. It does. Like, I was lucky in that I had no expectations when I was doing this. I just was having a blast. I was doing improv theater in Chicago. I loved writing comedy. I remember thinking like, oh, if I just stay in Chicago and do improv comedy and teach improv, I'd be happy with that. And then things kept happening and happening and happening. And it was always a surprise to me. There was never any sense of I'm going to end up here. I'm going to do this. It was just keep doing what you love. And it kind of follows along. But but it's easier said than done. I mean, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean to take that lightly. I was you know, I was lucky in, in the sense that just, I was who I was. I was where I was It was in the nineties. That was back at a time where you could live in a crappy apartment and be kind of broke. Times have changed, you know? So it's, it was a different situation. I was really lucky to be in it. Well,
1: I'll tell you this, man, I'm lucky to have had you. I'm lucky to call you a friend, man. And I'm lucky to say that I've actually been able to work with the talent that you possess, um, adam mckay ladies and gentlemen i've i've forever been a fan but it's so dope to hear you talk and drop the gems that you dropped today man you've You've been responsible for you know so much like i said in this space of comedy uh some of our favorite movies i ran them off at the top of the podcast man this man's responsible for and still finding more joy in doing what he loves and switching it up from drama to comedy to podcasts like he just voiced the man is literally somebody that inspires and motivates me just because he keeps going adam I'm lucky to say that my listeners were able to get inside the mind of Adam McKay
0: today. One thing I do want to say, uh, and this is a testament to what a legitimately good guy Kevin Hart is, is that years and years ago, might've been 10 years ago well there used to be a thing called the NBA entertainment league. And it was people from Hollywood would play in this league. We would wear legitimate uniforms we had referees, there was like a trainer, and we would play. And let me tell you something right now. I'm going to say this from a neutral point of view. Kevin can ball. Kevin's quick, he's got a handle, he could score, he's confident, he's a team general. I, on the other hand, am not much of a baller. And when you're not much of a baller when you're in a game like that, I, mean, I can hit a jump shot, I can rebound, I can play a little bit of defense, but I'm not much of a baller. The thing in those games, people get intense and they like yell at you. You're like grown men on the court, and some guys yelling at me. And I want I, a couple times. I was like, man, don't yell at me. Like I'm a grown man. Don't yell at me just because I'm, I, you know, you're half my age. Kevin, nothing but nice the whole time, hitting me with like perfect no look passes, bouncing off my face, blowing layups. Never once was like, come on, man. Not, not one single time. And then when I would occasionally make a good play, I'd hear him clapping his hands, like, way to go, McKay. Way to go. (laughs) By the way, I had only done, like, a couple movies Uh. at that point, so it wasn't like he was, like, respecting a guy with a resume. (laughs) I had had done, like, Anchorman and maybe Talladega Night, so I was kind of a known director. But never, like, we had Orlando Jones on our team. Orlando Jones would yell it. Everyone. And Orlando Jones, by the way, not that good. Not, good. not oh, a bunch of a baller <laughs> and would, would blow shot after shot and then scream at us. Oh, and God. Kevin, best player on the team, floor general, hell of a handle, never grown man, showed another grown man respect. <laughs> the highest praise I can give another man.
1: Adam, I swear to you, I remember... <laughs> like it was yesterday. The entertainment Ely. We played for the magic, right? Wasn't that the Magic? Right. We no played, magic. Yes, I we played for the magic. Jersey.
0: Oh my uh, God. He <laughs> was a decent human being, even in the face of abject poor basketball.
1: That is part. an amazing story, man. That's an amazing story. I was always don't worry about it, McKay. You got it. We'll get the next one. Let's get totally. back on D. Yeah. Always totally. positive. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a negative bone in my body, man. I don't no, know how. I
0: appreciate it. I appreciate it. It says a lot about you. It says I, a lot about
1: you. Thank you, man. I, I thank you. I appreciate the story. Uh, I hope my listeners enjoyed this as much as I did. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Comedy Gold Mines, and oh, what an amazing mind today's was, Adam McKay.
0: Thank you, man. Always love you, Kevin. Such a pleasure. Gold Mines with Kevin Hart is a serious XM and Laugh Out Loud radio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Wael. Produced by Danny Sellers and Leslie Guam and engineered by Danny Sellers.